0: Good morning and welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning as you're making your way in. I hope you got a bulletin and you'll be able to follow along in service. If you would, stand with me and let me call us to worship this morning. If you're visiting with us, we'll welcome you in a moment. Uh, but let's take a moment. If you have a bulletin, that's what we'll begin singing. But let me call us together from the book of Daniel. Come together, let us sanctify the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. Who changes times and seasons, removes and sets up kings, gives wisdom to the wise, and knowledge to those who have understanding. To you, O God, we offer thanks and praise. Several things we want to share with you this morning as we get started. Hopefully you got a bulletin. There are some announcements and things in there, but let me first begin by welcoming you. If you're here visiting with us, then we want to welcome you. There is a guest card in the pew if you would like to fill that out. Uh, we won't force you to, but if you'd like to leave us a record of who you are and where you are and how we can contact you, we'd be glad to call you and follow up and see if there's a way that we could minister to your family. And again, let me remind you on the back side of that card, even if you're not a guest, you do have a prayer card that if there's something going on that you would like us to pray for, you can fill that out and either put it in the offering plate or place it on one of the tables in the back or hand it to Nicari, and we will be glad to take that and get that for you. Um, but we're glad that you're here today, and in a moment we'll pray together. If you need your hymn book for the Lord's Prayer, we usually join in together. It's inside the cover of your hymn book, and we invite you to be a part of that as well. But there are some announcements on the back side of your bulletin in there that uh, you'll want to take note of. Uh, we have several announcements. Men, the breakfast is up and coming next week, so we want to, Scott wanted me to remind you, and also the colibarium meeting. If you have signed up for the colibarium and you need to do all your paperwork, Scott said they will be meeting right after worship service down in the library for a moment. There's a table there, there's paperwork there. So if you are needing to do that, you know who you are, I don't. But if you are needing that, they will be in the library after the worship service to be able to do that. Um, you'll see we have several of those meetings coming up that we've encouraged you to be a part about and pray. Uh, you will see that today the outreach meeting here in the fellowship hall at four. Nick, who is leading our outreach and evangelism ministries, It's not just, someone asked me about going downtown to Annapolis with Nick. Yes, you're always welcome. If you love open air preaching and reaching people in the marketplace, you can go with him to do that. But it's more than that. It's leading our church in evangelism as a whole so that we're intentionally reaching out, whether it's visiting through the families, whether you have someone extended in your family, whether it's bringing it to the session so that we can go meet people, or whether it's doing activities in the community um, it's an entire ministry team of those who want to be involved. Um, I know they set up booths and tables at some of the different fairs and festivals with our name, and we're able to pass out literature from our men's women, and women's ministries or our youth programs. Um, that's the whole idea of the outreach and evangelism team. So if you're interested at all in that, please come at 4 o'clock. It doesn't mean you're committing to it. It just means we're trying to find people in their gifts as we put things together back in our church. And so uh, after that, he'll be meeting with the youth leaders. So if you're on that youth team, if you're not on the youth team and leading, but would love to work with youth, come to that meeting, come to that meeting um, so that we can plug you in and help if you have experience doing that. I'll be meeting with the elders that have been nominated. Um, and then also those of you interested in the stewardship team, that is our budget and finance, our offerings and our collections. And if you are a person who loves numbers, love to crunch numbers look at numbers help us with numbers as we go forward in the future we need help making sure all of our budgets have the right amount of money getting that communicated to the elders as we pass budgets helping us balance if you're a finance person and would like to use your gifts to help us in that area then please come to that meeting but let me clarify one thing as I go forward as you pray for me and as I'm training our new officers that are coming as nominees um, it is a process and so i'm not sure what happens in the past um i can only tell you what we've done for 30 years but being an officer in the church is, a, is an honored position it's the calling we truly believe god sets up in the church and so we have nominees for elders and deacon and as they go forward they will receive a packet tonight i might scare them off at the very beginning but i will go over with them what is actually required about How they will be examined, and now catch this, they will be examined in their personal relationship with the Lord and their family. They'll be examined over the book of church order and what we have as our Constitution. They'll have to understand the Westminster Confession of Faith. They'll be looking at all the, over 175 passages of Scripture that so many are familiar with. That if someone came to you and said, I'm in a conflict, where would I turn? And you could say, oh, that's Matthew 18. I want to be an elder, and I'm not sure where that is. Well, that's 1 Timothy 3. You'll be amazed how easy it is to learn so much of Christian faith so that your leaders understand not only what our church believes, not only the Bible passages that are so commonly used, but our confession of faith. And then they'll have to also assent to doing the office of elder or deacon. So it is a process that takes several months. I'm excited to take them through that. Uh, It's not an examine as a test. It's an examining I told one of the uh, upcoming members of the Mission Church one time. He said, Jerry, I hate tests. If I have to take a test, I know I'll fail. And I said, well, well, I'm not going to examine you that way. I said, I want you to think of an examination as when you go to the doctor and they say, let me examine you. He doesn't ask you to pull out 50 questions to quiz him. The examination means let me look at you. Let me look over you. Let me work with you. Let me get to know you. Let me see what it is that's entailed in your life. If you said to a child, let's go examine some rocks, you wouldn't come back and come up with 50 questions to see if the rocks match the test. You would pull out the microscope and you would examine them. You would get to know that. That's what we mean in Presbyterian when we examine people. Yes, there's types of different quiz questions and things that we go over, but in our history, we've always examined people by saying, let's get to know these things. Let's get to know each other. Let's get to know the ministry. And then you'll be able to decide. And then the hardest part is this. They cannot serve unless you as a church vote them in. So before any of the nominees will ever get to serve, they'll have to come to a congregational vote. And you'll have to vote on them. So I'm not going to make it a political campaign. But I do want to encourage you, if you see the nominees, get to know them. Get to know them. If you look at that list and you say, and I'm making this off the top of my head because I see Grady over here, I don't know who Grady Bannister is. Well, then make it a prayer point to say, I want to get to know Grady Bannister. If you don't know who Bruce is, well, then I want to get to know Bruce. Because the one thing I will tell you as a pastor that I've done for 30 years, when it comes to officer training, you should not just check the box because they're nominees. You should only vote for those that you know as a person is able to lead the church. So I'm putting the burden on you, not them. I don't want them politicking through the church, putting up signs and pictures and, you know, vote for me. I can make the best change. That's not what we're talking about. What we're saying is when it comes to the kingdom of God, we want you to reach out, encourage, pray for, and get to know these men so that You know who it is that represents you in the church. And so that's a a big process. So please pray for me as we spend several months together as we prepare to serve the Lord. And other than that, we do have prayer requests. I don't want to go without praying for them. You'll see those in your bulletin. Um, It's been an opportunity for us. Many of you know these prayer requests. People have shared them with you. And if you want one posted in the bulletin, you must let us know. But let me take a moment and lead us in prayer. And then we'll pray together the Lord's Prayer that is there inside your red hymnal if you need it. But I would like to take a moment this morning and just simply read and pray for these requests. And so I would also like to do something. It may sound crazy, but if you have a prayer request this morning, I'm not going to ask you for it. But I want the congregation to know if you have a silent request or something that we can pray for unannounced, would you please just lift your hand for a moment? If you have a prayer request that you would like us to remember, thank you. I just want to get a number, and I'll lift you up first as a silent prayer request. All right, thank you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and I'll pray for these, and then you join me in the Lord's prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come to your presence openly and willingly through your Son, Jesus Christ. That we learn today the importance of how the old economy has changed so much when through the death of your son, the veil was torn, and we have access to a personal relationship where now we can come and bring all of our burdens, concerns, hurts, and the needs for directions right to you. Lord, this morning as we do that, we want to lift up each of our silent prayer requests this morning. Father, you know our burdens. You know our concerns and hurts. And Lord, though they're not voiced out publicly and though they're not typed in print for people to see, Lord, we trust more than anything your Holy Spirit knows us. I pray that you would bring comfort this morning, that you would bring assurance to them. Lord, not that you would give them what they want, not that you would give them their heart's desires if it's against your will, but that, Lord, you would change their hearts, you would change their minds, and you would reveal to them what it is you truly have for them. Lord, that's what brings us comfort. We ask for the same as we pray for Phil and Karina, Lord, just that you would continue to work in their hearts, their lives, their direction. Lord, as you form and fashion the events around their lives, let that be a picture to them of what you have for their lives, of what it is you truly calling them to do, and so that, Lord, they can feel that comfort of serving you. For Dan and Sheila, we lift them up, we lift their whole family up. Lord, not only for Dan and his pain and his relief, but for direction for their son in college, for their daughter as she works. Lord, that you would just put a hedge around their family, that you would be able to minister to them, uh, bring relief uh, to the suffering and the pain that is necessary, bring comfort to the concerns, bring direction for the decisions they need to make. Lord, for Bill and Kim, uh, Lord, we know that those who have been told there's only so much time, Lord, help us to realize that the time is in your hands, that the cancer and the treatment that he'll take, uh, Lord, give him the strength to endure, uh, the ability to continue on. We pray, Lord, for healing our heart's desire that, uh, Lord, you would be able to use the medicine and the technology uh, to do things that they haven't seen before to let them know that things are still miraculous, that you're still involved. Lord, for Kim, that you would give her just that extra strength to be able to minister to him uh, in the extra time in the uh, deeds that it will take. We pray for Lisa continually, Lord, as she recovers from her surgery. Pray that she will heal faithfully, that she'll be able to work and to do that and give her heart where it means most to her. For Harley and Carol, Lord, we just pray for... Uh, Just recovery and strength for both of them, Lord, as we know, uh, Lord, what it takes to minister to another long term and what we know it takes to get through the, the rehabs and the constant hospital visits. Lord, let us be friends. Lord, if you place it on our hearts to be able to give a call or to go sit or to just minister, to give Harley the encouragement to go forward, but to give Carol the support she needs. Uh, to be able to to stay sane, Lord, in a world that seems to be falling apart at times. Lord, for Van Zenten family, for Scott, his sister, uh, his family, Lord, just for the healing uh, for his sister as she has fallen, uh, for, uh, Lord, the just protection of his parents that, that you would just continue to minister uh, to his extended family in North Carolina as they travel back and forth, that you would give them the The stamina needed to do that. Lord, we pray for Stacy, Jim, and Jackie Box youngest. We pray for their salvation. Lord, if there's a a more precious prayer than the one that says, Lord, please come and save. Lord, we don't know it. For we know salvation is completely up to you. But Lord, give us the words. Give us the proclamation necessary to share the truth so that they could respond. Lord, all these things we bring forth to you this morning, putting the people first, asking you to answer these according to your will. Lord, we know we have not done anything again to earn it. We have our own frailties, fallenness, and sinfulness. And yet we know that being covered in the righteousness of your Son allows us to come to the throne of grace and boldly pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, with me. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another and to the whole communion of saints in heaven and on earth that we have sinned by our own fault. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. We have been deaf to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. We confess to you, Lord, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives. Have mercy on us, O Lord, and forgive our sins through Jesus Christ our Lord amen. And it never goes unanswered throughout all of the passages of scripture here from Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a blessing to know that we do have a high priest who has taken away our sins. Wherever you are this morning, call upon Jesus and experience the cleansing power of being guilt-free. And we can do that by also confessing along with our fathers in our faith this morning rather than questions. We have the Apostles' Creed. You'll find it there on page 845 if you need it in your hymn book. But if you would, join me as we confess our common faith with our forefathers in this same God who has forgiven us and them as well. So, church, I ask you, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Amen. If you would take in your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, that's where we have been studying through the book of Hebrews. As you're turning there, I remind you later this morning we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Pastor Nick will lead us uh, through our Lord's Supper this morning. And at the end of that we'll have our offering, which we want to say thank you already that we have received several thousands already toward our building payoff. And if you are in the process of praying about that, please know that any money given to that will go directly 100% as we try to pay off the remaining balance. I'll try to work with our treasurer and financial clerks and try to keep you updated each month as they make a payment. I know the session is already committed to make 3,000 a month extra, plus whatever you guys put in. And so I, rather than trying to keep up with everything that's given, it might be easier to just say, hey, what's the balance? And we'll put that there before you and let you see the difference that we make as we go forward. But what a blessing to know that as we wrestle with so many things in the Christian life, even with buildings churches and having a place to meet and to gather together, working through our hardships within our marriages, relationships with our children, making it Possible to endure the days of getting back together with employees. You know, one thing we didn't realize in the Christian life, that we would be reintroduced at some point from having the freedom and autonomous individual workday to being shoved back into a workplace, forced to be able to get along with people, to work over them, some of us having to manage them, work with them. The Christian life is full of all of these. We're no different than normal people living on the planet other than our status has changed tremendously. Sometimes you may not feel any different than your friends who are non-Christians. Sometimes we're caught up into the paraphernalias and everything that goes along with all the religions in the world. But when it comes down to it, there is something that we must know of extreme importance. It's what will help you stay faithful on the journey to faithfully following Jesus Christ. There is something that helps us when we get discouraged. There's something that helps us when we get down, when we're frustrated and we just want to quit. We want to give up and all of a sudden we want to go back and return to the old way, which just seemed so much easier, better, when it came to the personal life. Well, Hebrews writes us in chapter 8 about this struggle and how it will continue until you realize the main point of Hebrews. The main point, summarized for us this morning, and how it changes our hearts, encourages us to be faithful. Listen to what it says, Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. We have a minister in the holy place, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises." Man, if you haven't been with us, I know that's a mouthful to be able to go. But for those of you who've been following through the first seven chapters, we begin to realize that what the writer of Hebrews is saying is all the hardships that we have faced in the Christian life, we have someone who can help us through that. We have someone that we can go to. We have someone who can help us. This morning, all the hardships that you're facing are not going to be solved on your own incredible understanding and, and abilities. They're not gonna be solved by your knowledge and wisdom of the circumstances around you. You're placed in positions in life sometimes in which you realize I cannot solve this on my own. I'm in a situation I cannot change. I've made decisions that I cannot take back. And now the ramifications in my life are going forward and making it the best I can make it. I didn't really wanna quit my job. I just lost my temper. I didn't really want to quit my family. I just got fed up, and I didn't know which way to go. I didn't really want to quit my church. I just didn't have an answer. This is what everybody else was doing. I didn't really want to quit my friendship. I just wasn't sure they were really even my friend anymore. You see, we find ourselves making decisions in life a lot of times that are sporadic and at last minute. And they're decisions that if we were to look back, we would say to ourselves, I wouldn't have done that. But since we've already made those decisions, we move on. And we realize that sometimes we use the phrase, we just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper when we try to solve it on our own. And what we don't realize is that the greatest thing in the Christian life is that we have someone who is in the holy of holies of heaven, who is sitting on the throne and has the power and authority to do anything and everything that ever needs to be done and is mediating for us so that God knows exactly where we are and what we need so that he can provide what it is we need at just the right time. That's what it means in Hebrews chapter 8. Here's what he said. This is the main point. You don't have to go back to the old way. For the Jews, it meant you don't have to go back to the Old Testament law. To those who are coming through the wilderness, you don't have to go back to Egypt. You don't have to be under Pharaoh. To the ones who were put into captivity and being released through the times of judges, you don't have to go back and serve the other kings. Oh, it may have seemed like you got what you wanted and you were taken care of, but you truly weren't free. You were slaves to sin. You were slaves to the things of this world. You were slave to the one who runs this world, to the angel of light in disguise, to one who seeks to devour as a lion, to one who deceives and is known as the liar of all liars don't go back. Wherever you are this morning and whatever decisions you have made, the point is the Christian life has this powerful antidote to help us with every situation in life. And it's to have a heavenly focus on what Jesus Christ is doing today, not just for the future. Listen to what he says in verse 1. He says this, now the point is, then what he's saying, is that we have this high priest. Now again, for those of you who like the Greek, kephalion is actually translated many times, not as the point, but the sum of all things. It goes back to the story of Judas when it was used, when he had the sum of all monies, when the sum of all things gathered. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, everything that I have told you up to this point... Everything that I've told you about how Jesus is better than Moses, how he's better than Aaron, how he's better than the sacrifices, how he's is all led up to the point to now say the sum of all this means that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father for you. For you. He has done all of this so that when we face trials and circumstances, we have someone to go to that encourages us to keep going forward in the center of his will. Henry Blackaby years ago had done a book called Experiencing God. It's still out there. You can still be a part of it. It was a great discipleship series for many years. But one of the patterns that he did in the Experiencing God series was he said, Well, God always brings us back to the point in which we departed. That if you're trying to get back on track with God, it's not like this. Well, it's been 25 years. I'm sure he's forgotten about those things. I'll just pick back up right now and get going. That's not how it works. He always brings us back to the place we departed to remind us that the circumstances that He has planned for us were His will. And that you may wanted to escape things and you didn't want to go through the trials and tribulations and so you ran from them and you wanted to get away from them and now He's brought you right back to them because He wants you to understand that it's His power that's going to help you get through. It's His intercession that's going to provide what is needed. It's in His grace that's going to make you sufficient for the cause. The main point is the sum of all of this is that we now have a high priest to help us. It's not just about the church. It's not just about your friends. It's not just about your small group. We put so much focus on the energy of the things on this world that we lose sight of the fact that the greatest opportunity as a Christian we have resides at the right hand of the Father. And yet we rely so much on the people who are here on earth. And yet those are the people that hurt us most. I'd like you to think back to the time that your small group failed you. Or one of your best friends left the circle. Or someone else lied or cheated when you thought they were your best friends. Your church did something that you never dreamed they would do. Your pastor went through a situation that you just couldn't imagine would ever come up. Now you're facing things with the one you married that was supposed to be your helpmate that seems to be your worst enemy. Yet how many times has Jesus forsaken you? How many times have you called on God for forgiveness, compassion, and help, and his son said to you, hold on a minute, I'm busy dealing with other problems, I'll get back to you. I'm sorry there's too many billions of children that belong to God right now and their needs are much more important than yours. I'll, I'll get back to you when necessary. Yet we put so much hope in those who are here on earth when the main point is we have someone at the right hand of the Father who can do anything. Look at the verses that is there. You can take verse 8-1. It's really amazing how it's repeated. Verse 8 Reminds us, says that we have a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. It's amazing that we use this word in heaven, okay? Intois urinois, it's in the heavens. What's ironic is go back to chapter 1, verse 3. And watch this. Here's the same verse. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The only difference between sitting down from the majesty on high and sitting down from the majesty in the heavens is the word that is used. Eupholois on high. And again, in Toys uranois, in the heavens. It's the exact same thing. The beginning of the book of Hebrews tells us that this is all about the one who is at the right hand of the Father. And now we're reminded the main point of this is the one who is sitting at the right hand of the Most High, the one who is in the heavens. Stop looking to the earth when we need to begin looking to the true tent. Right now, this is what we have. He is saying this, we have, circle that word, we have. Put those two words together. In Greek, it's one word, echomen. It's the present tense of what we possess, which means it's right now. It's today, it's present tense, and that's why it uses the word have. You could say we still have, we are having, but we have. It is not that we have to wait till we get to heaven. It is not that we have to wait until Jesus comes back. We have, Eckelman, write that down, right now at this moment, at this present time, you should be taking every one of your issues to the throne of grace to boldly come before the king who has the authority to remind you of exactly what he's doing in your life. He is the one who is here at the right hand to mediate. Now, here's what I want you to do. Stop looking down and start looking up and see how it changes your life. Take this in for just a moment. Jesus died, yes. If it stopped right there, where would you be? Jesus rose from the grave, great. But if it stopped right there, where would you be? And if He just ascended up into the heavens to go back into the heavenly realm, where would you be? You see, the main point is this. Yes, he's done all that, but he's returned back to the right hand of the Father to remind you that he's in authority and he's returned to be the one who now not only reigns over the world, but intercedes for you. He has put together what we have been studying, the Melchizedek priesthood, the king priest, the one who reigns and the one who intercedes. Who else in the world could help you more than him? Yet we still turn our focus to the world. I want to, don't raise your hand, don't tell me, don't call it out loud. But if I asked you, when you have problems, who do you turn to first? Who do you first run to? mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, brother, sister, next door neighbor, pastor, elders, deacons? Are they all the earthly plane? When do you finally say, I need to look up for the main point of all that Jesus accomplished was that he can now not only reign, but he can intercede and provide for you our help comes from who? The Lord. Oh, he takes us on this main point, digest it, understand this, meditate on this, most importantly, apply it to your life. How long has it been since you've been on your knees at the foot of your bed with no one else knowing it and who cares how loud it is, in which it comes through the form of tears and a heartache and a swollen up throat and a lump that doesn't swallow and the words just can't come and yet you can find relief because the Spirit gives you the groaning necessary Because somehow from the throne of grace, one intercedes and gives you the words you don't even know what to say. And then reigns over every event to make sure what he just said was going to happen for you would happen. So that he could take care of you and provide for you. Because you belong to him. The greatest of blessings that come. He moves us on as we begin to see. He's not just... Dying, He's already finished with the atonement. Folks, the sacrifices happen. We have the cross. It's a wonderful picture. Sometimes it becomes too important. In the early Puritan days, if you remember, you weren't allowed to have anything in the sanctuaries. They stripped the churches not only of pictures, but of crosses, of emblems, of anything that could bring it back because it's too easy to think about what he did where? On earth. Oh, I'm not trying to say that his death doesn't matter. What I'm trying to say is his death provided redemption he took the sins he placed them on his back and he took your sins but it didn't stop there he didn't forgive you and then say okay the rest is on your own i cleaned the slate i gave you a fresh beginning now go back to doing what you were doing you can make it this time no what separated him from every other high priest is that his ministry never stopped Yes, He took your sins. Yes, He buried them. He rose again in victory over death. And He ascended to be back into the heavenly realm with His Father. But most importantly, He sat at His right hand. And He intercedes for you. He wants to help you. To guide and direct you. The atonement is done. Now He's at the place of honor. That's what it means to sit. You know this. Sitting at the right hand. We have this appointment, if you wish, of being honored and to have authority it's the place where this honor and authority becomes a reality read through the book of revelation i think it's more than a dozen times in the book of revelation we are told that god sits on the what throne when jesus sat next to him he's there to have authority and to intercede he's accomplished everything he needed on earth And he's began his intercessory ministry so that you would focus on your heavenly realm, where one day you will spend eternity as a child of God. Yes, we now realize that the throne and the temple or the sanctuary are now blended together. We have a Melchizedekan priest. One who is king, and one who is priest, and one who was promised to be a Messiah. The main point, we have one who cares for us from heaven. And how is it that we do that? Yes, he could not be the priest now. Verse 2 tells us he's a minister in the holy places in this true tent that is there. The minister in the holy places. Lytereskos, if you wish, or rygos is the word for minister. It's actually two words put together. A compound. If we do that, those of you who are English people, you can correct me later. But I think that's called a compound word when you put two together to make one. uh, It's confusing either way you look at it in English. But the word is actually two put together. Lytros for of the people and Argon is to work for. The actual word for minister is to work for the people. That's the word that is used in Greek. Jesus is the minister. He's the one that is working for the people. A minister is one who has gifts and sacrifices to bring, to represent the people, to place them in the right position, to help them overcome. And now we are told that he is the minister in the true tent, the one that was set up not by man. What does that mean? Well, look at three different things we can do real quick. One, he is serving. He has brought the sacrifice. He didn't bring many sacrifices. He brought how many? One. Do you remember what sacrifice he brought? Himself. What separated it from everything else is he didn't have to bring the many offerings. He brought the one. It's an amazing way that he does it. He's not just serving and bringing the sacrifice of himself. He's serving in the true holy place. It's the same one in chapter 9. Later on, we get the word for sanctuary. It's the same place. He's in that place that Moses was given a picture of, we'll look at later, a place and a portrait and a shadow to build on earth. The tabernacle wasn't just a facade and an imagination of Moses, a place to gather people together. It was the picture of the true tent, the true tabernacle, the true holy place where our focus should be today. And he's there serving as a high priest. Exodus 25 tells us that is the same place that looks like the one Moses gave us. I could give you some passages of Scripture if you want to turn back quickly. Go to Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. If we can get back in your Bible to the left fast enough, you can go to Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 and listen to this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Folks, before we ever get the announcement in Isaiah 7 about a virgin birth, we're getting the messages that even in the Old Testament there is truly the throne in heaven and there is one who sits on that throne and his robe fills the temple. The temple is the place of kingly reign. It is the place where God lives. There truly is a place that we're going to be able to worship God forever. When we're all exalted up to that place that God prepares for us. When Jesus came and he told us that he would go and prepare a place. One day he would return and take us to that place. I hate to tell you this, but my place is going to be in a better place than yours. Oh, the competitive side of me, I told you before, I'll be above those angels and beyond the choir And I'm going to be right next to that Holy of Holies. Where since the veil has been torn and you can see right in, I want to have an open access to look at the Father and the Son for all eternity. Oh, it's not just a story. Moses wasn't just bringing about his own will. We have a heavenly high priest serving in the heavenly temple. And because he is a minister, he has to have something to offer. Listen to the comparison in verse 3. Every high is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Listen to this. Thus it is necessary for this one also to have something. Now I'm going to tell you a secret. You won't find the word priest in the Greek if you're reading it and following along. It's assumed from the word taotos and taotun. What this actually says is that every high one is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Talking about the ones on earth. And then the comparison goes to, but it is necessary for this one. There is no word for priest in the Greek. It is necessary for this to have something to offer. He's not offering many things. He's offering what? One thing. And one thing only. And for all eternity, it was enough to put him at the right hand of the Father to reign forever. If you are trusting in anything other than the one something that he offered, you're trusting in the wrong thing. The something was his once-for-all-time sacrifice was the giving of Himself. But if you're trusting in all the works that you've accomplished, if you're trusting in all the good things that you have done for others, if you're trusting in the abilities that you've accomplished over the years, in the service time that you've accumulated over the years, if you're even trying to weigh out all the different people that you have touched, and if you want to take credit for all the field of harvest that's been brought in through your stay, all those something. Add up to what? Nothing. Because the only something that matters is the one thing that Jesus offered. And it's only in him that you have access to the help you need when you're struggling in your Christian life. And if you're struggling without being a Christian, you'll never find the help you need until you come to Jesus Christ and realize that he has given you the something you need to be right oh you can play around with it all you want verse 4 tells us that if he was here on earth he couldn't do it y'all know why if he was a priest on earth he's not from Levi we've heard this a thousand times he doesn't fit the priestly tribe because he came from the tribe of what Judah, he's the kingly tribe, he's the priest through Melchizedek, not through Levi. He's the priest that resides in the true tent, not the copy or the shadow. Look at what verse 5 says it's a copy and a shadow of those things. You may not care about this, I've said that before and again and again. The word copy, api dogmati, looks like dogmatics, is the same word that is used for a pattern that is to be followed. A pattern that is to be followed. Jesus, at some times, was the copy. Remember, we're supposed to be like who? We can't do that. It's an encouragement. Sometimes it's impossible, and we wear people out because we'll never actually be like him. It's the same word that is used in the sanctuary when they said build the holy place because it is a copy. It is a pattern that is to be followed. It is a structure. It is a shadow, a skia. A skia. It's amazing. It's a prefigure of future things that are perfect. If you look at someone's shadow, that's not what you put your trust in. The shadow just tells you that if there's a shadow, there must be something what? Real that's casting it. There must be something out there that's more perfect than the shadow. Because I bet if you were to take what was real and look at it, it would be a whole lot more precise. It would be a whole lot more perfect than the shadow that you see casted. The details of the perfect are never shown in the shadow that portrays it. Do you get me? The law and Moses were a shadow. They could not give you the perfect picture. They pointed to that which would be perfect. They let you know that there was something that would be perfect. And they let you know that the time would come when you would be able to see that which was perfect. And the perfect is in heaven. According to the pattern and the plan that Moses built after, the one that he was shown to build here on earth is the one where Jesus now sits in perfection, in reality, where he reigns and intercedes for you. Here's how he phrases it. He's not given the exacts I wish should would say Moses about the temple and its structure, we're told its dimensions and its patterns, but what we are told is that there is a certainty of one that is perfect and superior. Why? Look at verse 6. As it is, Christ has obtained a better ministry, much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better because it has better promises. If you were to read verse 4, skip verse 5, this is what it sounds like Now, if we were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law.
1: But as it is,
0: Christ has obtained a better. That's the continuation of verse 4. He's going back to verse 4, reminding you that Christ has a continuation of his ministry. It is a superior ministry, because it's got a superior covenant that's based on superior promises. That's what makes everything, I hate to say it, so what? Superior. Superior. We're trying to follow that which is the greatest. We're not putting our mind on the things of earth. Folks, I know you think your pastor is perfect, but listen, you're not gonna find the perfect on earth. You'll find a few flaws here and there. You may think grandpa was the best. You may think grandma was the best. You can pick out whoever it is, and we all know they're full of flaws. When do we look up and trust That it's real. That there is the heavenly holy of holies. Where Jesus now resides. And has superior blessings for us. More than what the Old Testament could ever provide. Yes. Why is it a superior ministry of serving the people? Because he still does it today. Mark that down and put it. The only comparison I need to make Jesus superior in my life is because the Bible tells me Jesus is still ministering for me today. I would hate to have my hopes in a priest that's already what? Did. What good is that for me now? And why is it superior? Because of the covenant, it's better promises. Jeremiah 31 31, called the New Covenant. It's where he promises to write on their hearts that he would be their people and that he would forgive them, no longer on stone, but on their hearts. Why are they better promises in Jesus Christ, our high priest? One, because our heart can be changed. Maybe you're here this morning and you need a change of heart you got a bad attitude. You always look at things half empty. Always find the negative of what somebody else has done that's different than what you've done. Always find a reason to complain about something that you would have done differently. And this morning you realize you're miserable because the problem is not what everybody else is doing. It's not in all the things that everybody else has accomplished. The problem's not far off at all. The problem of it is you need a better priest that has better promises because he can change your heart. Are you looking up for that change? Second of all, it's better because we have intimate access. I don't know how many times in my journey of church planting, someone has come up to me and said, hey, you're a pastor, aren't you? I said, well, yes. My, what I should be saying is this. What do you need? Can you pray for me, please? The next time when you pray, I know you're a little closer to the Father than I am, and he probably hears you better than he hears me. But would you just pray for me so that this will happen? Almost as if the pastor's prayer is better than what? Oh, I promise you, Nick's prayers aren't any good at all. <laughs> no, that's not true. But folks, there's no level of prayer on earth. We're all in the same bat. If we're going to other people to pray and other people to get accomplished, and maybe they've got a better... Folks, the point is this. The better promise is you can change your heart and understand that you have intimate access with the Father. You don't need me. Just give me a paycheck, send me home, and I'll leave you alone. No, the truth of it is you can go right to the Father. You have intimacy with Him now. You have the chance to say, God, I hurt. This doesn't make sense to me. Why is this being allowed in my life? How much longer am I going to have to do this? Please give me strength. I'm wearing thin. I want to do this the right way. I want to be faithful. I've done this for years now, and I just wish things would change. I'm tired of seeing the hurt. I'm I'm running out of energy, and I just want to quit. And you don't need me to say that. By the way, Father, I have this one in my church that she's got some special prayer requests. I think she's hurting, and I think she's upset, and I think things aren't going real well. And I've had to pray a bunch for her. Could you please, like, do something for her so I could have some relief? That's not how it works. You can go directly to God. Yes, I want to pray with you. Yes, I already pray for you. If you wonder how I've learned your name, it's because I've gone through the directory I don't know how many times praying for you. I don't know what God's doing, but I know you have intimate access with the Father. I know He can change your heart. And finally, he said he would be our God and we would be his people because he will forgive you. There is nothing you can do that the once for all time sacrifice that was enough to raise him from the grave, lift him to the highest of heavens, and to place him next to the Father where he sits in authority, That sacrifice was so good and so much greater than anything this earth could provide. You can trust your sins can be forgiven. As it is, he obtained a better ministry than the old. Stop looking back to the old way. Stop looking back to the old answers. Stop trying to do it the old way by yourself. Start looking up. Complete reconciliation. No longer separated from God. And what a blessing. If we would just open our eyes and our hearts to the true Holy of Holies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can commune with you, that we can feed upon you in faith, that the intimacy of our lives can be shared with others here on earth. Lord, it all comes because your Son, Jesus Christ, has given himself for us. Lord, prepare our hearts, our minds, our souls as Pastor Nick leads us to commune together and with you around the Lord's table. In Jesus' name, I pray.
1: As I come up, I'm gonna ask the officers, those who are helping with the Lord's Supper to come on up. And as you're making your way, uh, and as I briefly explain what we're about to do in the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about the purpose of a meal. Two really stand out to me, one, is to to satisfy your hunger and two is to enjoy relationship with those around you many of us throughout the week we eat our meals alone sometimes we feel like it's our only quiet moment but uh, in truth meals were designed to to satisfy our hunger and to enjoy and to deepen relationship with others and when we apply that to the lord's supper those who are qualified to come are those who realize that they are are hungry, not just hungry in your stomach, but hungry spiritually. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And this is who this meal is for. This is for those of us who say, I don't primarily look to another person to satisfy my needs. I don't even look to myself, which is what we're often tempted to do, to try to take care of our own problems. But we look to our God, we look to our savior to feed us and to cleanse us and to give us what we need. To renew that relationship with him and not only our relationship with him, but with others. That he would strengthen us, that he would feed us so that the relationship would be strengthened. So that's who this meal is for. It's for those who know that they need Jesus and love him and want to grow in our relationship with him and with other people. If you've not yet professed your faith in Christ, I invite you at this time to pray to the Lord, to come to him and say, I need you, to come to him and say, forgive me for my sins and give me a new life in you. So as I pray and give thanks for these elements, please join me. Lord Jesus, you gave us this meal so that we would grow closer to you and grow closer with each other. Lord, may it accomplish in us its intended purpose, more than we can explain here, but that you use this meal as we receive it in faith, that you're working in us and through us. Lord, we set these aside, we give thanks for them, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. We'll distribute the bread first. Please hold on to it as it's distributed to you, and then we will all partake together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples as I, ministering in his name, give this bread to you and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. In the same manner, he also took the cup and having given thanks as has been done in his name, he gave it to the disciples saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray together now and as we prepare for this morning's offering. Lord Jesus, you feed us well. And oh, may we be changed and renewed by your perfect life, your sacrificial death, your resurrection your intercession for us. You're working in us and through us. Lord, as we give now as an act of worship, we trust in you to provide everything that we need individually, our families, this church, all the ways that we desire to use the resources you've given to us that your kingdom would go forth in power. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.
0: Rick is within me. And may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.